Um, no, that's what I'm going to say to you this morning. Um, we are starting, yeah, I know, you're like, what? <laughs> We're starting a series on the prophets, minor prophets. Um, I was really excited when this topic came up, um, not straight away, but as, at the point where they said, you're first so you can choose, and I realized Jonah was in there, so I was like, I, I'm having Jonah, much to uh, Dan's disappointment, sorry, Dan. Um, And I thought, yes, that is something that I probably know a little tiny bit about. If nothing else, you're probably feeling the same. Um, So the title for the series is um, The Heart of a Prophet. And um, today we're going to be talking about no. Okay, no. (laughs) I wonder what you're like at saying that word, Um, I know my children have no trouble in saying no to me, but I've met many people through the years that um, do have trouble saying no. In fact, if you're sneaky, you know which people don't say no, so you ask them. (laughs) Um, I heard the funniest story about um, this mum who was trying to get her daughter to brush her teeth. And um, she'd been through everything, you know, um, the carrot, the stick, everything, trying to get her daughter to brush her teeth. And one day she got so frustrated, she literally yelled at her daughter, will you please brush your teeth? And her daughter looked at her, she was brought up in quite a charismatic church, and she stuck out her finger and said, in Jesus' name, no! (laughs) So, yeah. Um, As I said earlier, the title is The Heart of a Prophet, but as you'll see today, the heart of a prophet is no different to our own hearts, in fact. Um, uh, The Bible says that all have sinned, and it's true of a prophet too. What makes them different is the heart of God, the heart of God, Um, his unfailing, abounding, immeasurable, relentless love for us and his creation. And he is a God that loves his creation to say yes. But he is also a God who can more than cope with our no's. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Jonah. Uh, we're going to read half the book. Um, so let's first find Jonah. Now, the first person to find Jonah can shout out the, uh, where it is. Say that, 927. That is really helpful for me as much as anyone else. 927. So as we all get there, Jonah. And um, where's that roaming mic? Where's that hiding? Here it is. I need some victims. <laughs> I did this in my house group the other week. It worked so well. I thought, let's do it again today, Steph. <laughs> okay, so it's MM here. Come on, MM. Up you come. <laughs> they didn't know this. Isn't this brilliant? MM, you're God. Again. Again. He makes a very good God. Um, captain of the ship, Rob, that's you. Uh, you'll need to be reading from the same Bible. Um, 
the sailors, that's all of you. So get ready. This is a participatory reading. And Jonah, that's Steph. <laughs> oh, no. Come on, come on. <laughs> she hasn't found it yet. No, that's fine. Took me ages to find it. Okay, so we're going to read the story about this prophet. I'll be the narrator, so we'll all be all right. So just um, to, we've got God, captain, you are the sailors, not the captain, so watch out for that, and um, Steph. I'd love a northern accent, thank you. (laughs) Jonah's from northern Israel, I reckon that works. Okay, are we ready? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. me, me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. 
and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came again to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. You, you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And that's where we'll stop this week. (laughs) Thank you very much. I know Steph's now not happy. (laughs) But, you know, we did talk about it in house group. (laughs) Okay. So here we have the story of the prophet named Jonah. And uh, probably what you'll be thinking when I say Jonah is big fish or possibly whale. But the fish is certainly not the star of this, uh, this kind of tale. It is um, very firmly God. He is the main character in this narrative. Um, Jonah was a prophet. He was a contemporary of Amos and Hosea. And we're coming to Hosea next. So that's exciting. He was one of the very few prophets, I think, that got to say nice things. He prophesied that the northern tribes of Israel would expand, and they did. The the land that they owned was expanded, Um, despite king after king being really horrendously bad. Jonah was one of the few that brought something nice in the middle of it. Um, You can imagine that, unlike the others that had to say, you know, how terrible Israel was. Um, Jonah got a, quite a cushy assignment here. Um, he was probably quite happy, you know. He was on the royal bankroll. He was popular with the people. And here, um, at the beginning of Jonah, he's asked to go and preach against, to be a bringer of bad news, to rebuke, to warn because of its wickedness, this place called Nineveh. Um, And Jonah's cosy life at this point is very much interrupted and continues to be so. Um, This city was not in Israel. Okay, so just to to let you know that, it was not there. In fact, it was in northern Iraq. Um, And we're going to say much more about Nineveh and why and all that. We're going to do that next week. So before you think, oh, Lou, but all of this you've not said, hold it there. Um, But for now, I just want us to read it as if we are hearing it for the first time, okay? So everything you know about it, I just want you to dump it and hear it as if you're reading it for the first time. If you are reading it for the first time, you're in the perfect place to do so. Excellent. Um, So here we have uh, verse 4. It says, but Jonah... Okay, and that's not going to be the first time we hear that. Jonah ran away. He said his no to God, no. And he says it in a really big way because he heads to this place called Tarshish. And if you can imagine 
that here is at where Jonah lives. Okay, so here he is. Over here on this side is Nineveh. And uh, somewhere out there, not even in the building, is where Jonah decides he's going to run. So he goes in the opposite direction. In fact, some people say it was as far as maybe southern Spain. So that's as far as he would know. They didn't have big maps those days, but this was as far as they knew at the time that you could go. And he borders um, a cargo ship that's going that way. And in this, he's demonstrating his absolute no Okay, a really, really big no. And he's attempting to flee from the Lord. Now, I want you to get your heads around this, that the people who heard this for the very first time, imagine we are gathered around the campfire, and this is the first time we've heard this story, and the storyteller's built it up, and and he's drawing you in, and suddenly he tells you that this prophet just point blank refuses to do what God has told him to do. And the absolute shock that would have gone through this campfire that anyone would dare or even be able to do that. In Jeremiah, he talks about the experience of holding a message from God that's been given to him. And he says this, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, His word, okay, this is what he's talking, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it, indeed I cannot. He's talking about it's so heavy a job to do, to be a prophet, it's so burning inside him that he's just exhausted from it. And Amos writes this, the lion has roared, talking of God. Who will not fear? Who will not be terrified? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Who can but speak? Jonah, I don't reckon he got that memo because he is off and he's going to run a long way. So now we're waiting with those people around the campfire to see what God is going to do. And it says, the Lord sent a great Wind and it threatens to break up the ship, and each of those on board cries out to his God. But what does it say? But Jonah, again, we've got our second, but Jonah has gone down below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Now, you might at this point be thinking, well, Jonah, that's, that's, what's going on with him? Is he just really hard and callous? Does he not care? But I don't think it's that. I think that Jonah, this deep sleep is really deep. It is immense. I think it's like a depressed sleep. Jonah is wallowing. He is so incredibly low. And you get that throughout Jonah. He's going down, down down. And I think in the bottom of the ship, he is just dealing with this no. Imagine what Jeremiah said, how immense the burden is to carry, how much he's fighting what God wants him to do. And I just feel that he, in his kind of walking away from God, he's exhausted emotionally and physically. 
he is depressed. He, he basically has had such a strong reaction to God's command that he feels there is no way he can possibly do that. So much so that he's willing to flee and go to that place of immense low and depression and isolation. And God, um, here, you see here that Jonah's not only walks away from a message, he's walked away from God. And not only has he walked away from God, but he's walked away from his home, his community, his family. He's left everything. That is his reaction to God's message. So much so that he has to say no. And Jonah is fleeing from the presence of God. And it's not just distance, it's in his heart. Um, And there might not be, I guess, anyone here who has had something quite so extreme as that. But we all know what it's like when we hear a message that we know we should do. We feel it in our hearts. We think, I know that's the right thing to do. But what God's asked us to do is so hard that we find ourselves not doing it. And it plays on us, doesn't it? It sits. It's kind of this uncomfortableness that goes with us wherever we go. But we keep looking at the thing God's asked us to do. Maybe it's to forgive someone who's greatly offended us. That's, that's often a very hard one to do, isn't it? But we just feel, I just don't have that. That is too hard for me to do, God. And so we sit with a no and that's not a nice place to be. Um, it's often a very costly choice, too. Um, we think of Jonah. How much would it have cost him to buy his place on this ship financially? How, what did it cost him to leave his position in the court of the king? What did it cost him to say, I'm going to leave this community? It's a great cost to us. Um, And when we're in those difficult times, we don't want to share stuff with our Christian friends. Often we're ashamed, or they might think we're foolish, or we think they're just going to give me the message God's given me, and I don't want to hear that right now. And so we withdraw from church, we withdraw from our home groups, we withdraw from our prayer partners, maybe, or even our partner. It's a place we want to withdraw. We find it hard to read God's word because God's going to tell us what we don't want to hear. And so we flee from his presence and we flee from his people. And when we're in that place, like we said, it affects us emotionally and physically, but it also impacts those around us. Have you noticed that? Not intentionally, not deliberately. We wouldn't want it to, But when we're working through stuff, we usually have a bit of a fallout, don't we? And the sailors on Jonah's ship certainly felt that fallout. A while back, I was in a situation where I knew that I had to reconcile with someone. I was was struggling with some stuff, and there was a bit of fallout within, you know, my friendship group. I had one particular friend who just, you know, she was so cross with me because I'd withdrawn from her. And I knew I had to reconcile with her 
But the more cross she got with me, the more I withdrew. And therefore, the more cross she got. So the more I withdrew. We end up in this ridiculous situation. But that's what can happen, isn't it? We withdraw. And, and that reconciliation becomes harder and harder. I wonder if today you're aware that you're wrestling and there's a bit of fallout around you, maybe in your family or the people that you live with or your workplace, or maybe you're, you're the one that's experiencing that fallout and you're thinking, oh, this is painful to watch what's going on here and to experience what I'm feeling. So the sailors gather around Jonah to decipher what the heck is going on here. Um, They know that he's running away from Yahweh. Uh, So they want to know, well, who is this God? Who is this God? And what on earth have you done? And Jonah says, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Literally says, the God I fear is. The God I fear is. Um, And the sailors, they were fearful of the storm, but now it says... um, that they fear with great fear. They are now, oh my life, what is going on? And they try to row back to the shores. They try to sort the situation. They try to help Jonah the best way they can. But finally, with Jonah refusing point blank to cry out to God, the sailors cry out to God. Brilliant. Doesn't that just make sense, though? Sometimes when we are struggling so much to cry out to God, what happens? Those around us start crying out to God. Even people that don't know him think, this person needs some prayer. And God graciously works in all circumstances, doesn't he? When we're at our best and when we're at our worst, he's still working. Even when their life is going swimmingly, or even when we're in the mud. It says, Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and they made vows to him. God answered their prayers. The men feared with great fear the Lord. They worshipped him. These sailors just came to faith in the middle of Jonah's mess. And I get encouragement from that, that in the middle of my mess, people still can come to faith. Hallelujah. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And from inside the fish, Jonah finally prayed to the Lord his God. You know, when we get to the end of ourselves, God sends a rescue package. And it's not always a pretty one, is it? It's not, it wasn't a luxury liner that God sent for Jonah, was it? It wasn't the front cabin on some lovely cruise ship. Martin will tell you all about that. Wasn't that? No, it was a stinky, stinky, stinky big fish. I remember when I was a teenager and I was in a relationship that I knew God didn't want me to be in. And I knew that, and I carried that deep weight down here that I wasn't doing what God wanted me to do. And what did I do? I withdrew from church. 
withdrew from my Christian friends. My youth workers tried to talk to me. I didn't want to. I knew what they wanted to talk me about. I didn't want to talk about it. I knew. They knew. Let's not talk about it. But, you know, that big fish for me was another woman coming into that relationship, and it was horrendous. It was a horrible, stinky fish. But I tell you, it got me out of that relationship. And it was at that point that I said, God, I am yours 100%. From now on, you do what you want to do with me. And that I always put that as the point I became a Christian. The point that I said, God, no matter what, I am yours. And another time in my life, a bit later on, if you think that doesn't happen once you become a Christian, it does. Um, I'd been in a certain place for, t- for two years, and before this, I'd had a little bit of a chat with God, and we decided we were going to do this for two years, and then I was going to do something else. And when it came to the end of those two years, I thought, oh, I, I'll do another year. Why not? Do you know that was the worst year of my life? Absolute worst year of my life. But it was the best big fish that God ever saw, sent me because it changed my life again. And I was, seeing, I was listening to a speaker the other day. She was talking about um, how at one point in her kind of, you know, God had called her to, to talk to women and speak to them. And um, at one point she decided, you know, it's just too much like hard work. I'm just going to be one of those normal mums for a bit. I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to grow some vegetables. So she starts growing these tomatoes in her garden. She tries to be what she said, normal. And, um, and then this black fly came and ruined her tomatoes, absolutely ruined them. And she went to her neighbor. She said, oh, the black fly, it's awful. No, her neighbor's tomatoes are perfect. You know, and she felt then, you know, God said, you know, I've told you to do this, not grow tomatoes. You know, that was her big fish. So one thing I know, sometimes we need a big fish. And, you know, you might be in that boat ride still now. You might be able to look back and testify, you know, what your big fish were. And I would really love to hear them afterwards because we've all got them. But I know that God is there. Jonah went to the very end of his life, to his very last breath before he cried out to God. And at that moment, God was there. What does it say in verse 2 of chapter 2? From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You know, in the realm of the dead. Can you imagine that? Is there anywhere too far that you can go that God cannot get you? Is there? In our very last breath, as we're entering the realm of the dead and the gates are closing, that gives me great encouragement. Doesn't it give you great encouragement? Particularly if you're worried about loved ones and you're thinking, I don't know what happened. I don't know if they met Jesus in the realm of the dead. As the gates are closing, he can get you. Amazing God. So Jonah sank as far as he could possibly go to the point of death. There is nowhere you can go where God cannot get you. There is nothing you can do that God cannot lift you out of. And even as body shut down, that relentless, loving God, pursuing God with him at all times, 
grabbed him. It was a stinky fish, but he grabbed him. And when we get to the end of ourselves, we find God. You know, even people that I speak to who have no family that are Christians, no religious practice in their life, do you know what they always say? Well, if it gets a bit tough, you know, I say one to him upstairs. There's that there, isn't there? That we cry out to God in those places. And when God grabs us, how do we respond? Flip me, how do we respond? What does Jonah say? But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, and I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. We can't help but speak about it, can we? Remember when Jesus had that woman who was crying on his feet, and she wiped his feet with with her hair, and she washed it with her tears, and Jesus said, those who've been forgiven much love much. Imagine what Jonah's feeling right now from the depth of the grave. And when we run to the end of ourselves, Jesus is waiting for us. He's waiting for us. He's waiting for you if you're currently running and you know that he waited for you when you ran in the past and he know that he will wait for you if you should run in the future. He's a relentless, loving caring, gracious, full of loving kindness, compassion and mercy, God. And that is the God that we can say salvation comes from him. Oh, I just turned my iPad off. Whoops. (laughs) Sorry, that wasn't in it. (laughs) We can't flee from his presence. You know, Jonah went to run, didn't he? But we know really clearly Psalm 139, really famous one, isn't it? It says, where can I flee from your presence? We can be running. We can be doing whatever we like. You know, when I was running with my big no, where was God? Is he like gone on holiday? No, he's there with you all the time. And that's why in a second, in a nanosecond of us turning back to him, he's there. He's at our side and he's a relentless, loving God. Let's see where we're at. You know, repent, it says, uh, you know, when, when, we, when we think about what it is to come to Jesus, to start following him, it is to repent. It is to turn around. And Jonah, you know, he's right over here. Well, what a picture of turning around. But that's what we're doing, isn't it? When we decide to follow Jesus, we're turning around. We're going in the opposite direction. And we don't get a clearer picture of that than Jonah being vomited up on a beach. Ever felt like that? (laughs) And he begins this costly journey back. It's not always easy, isn't it? You know, it's costly to run from God, but it's also a cost to follow God. Imagine he's not only been vomited, he's now got to get back to Israel. He's got to get, start another journey. It's 500 miles to Nineveh. That's a, that's a whole month's journey. They don't have the Eurostar or anything like that. It's oldie times, you know. It's going to take him a long time. It's going to cost him a lot. To turn round and repent to those arms of forgiveness that it can cost us, can't it? 
But it doesn't cost us as much as it would because the cost has been paid for by God. It was paid for on the cross as he died in our place. He declared, it is finished. And nothing, no sin, no action, no word, no thought of a no can ever separate us from God again. In Psalm 103, it talks about as far as the east is from the west. It's a great picture of a Jonah, isn't it? He has separated us from our sins. You know, the heart of the prophet is just like us, rebellious, full of no's. But God's heart is full of relentless grace for us. Relentless grace who can bear with our no's. We should never think, that no is too big, God can't forgive. As far as the east is from the west. Can your no be too big for God? And finally it says, in the beginning of chapter 3, and this is where we're going to stop. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Our God is the God of second chances, the God of third chances, the God of fourth chances, the God of fifth chances, the God of the hundredth chance, the millionth chance. Nothing, nothing in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God. There is nothing anyone can do. And that gives me great assurance that I am his. The second that I realize that I am living in a no is the instant that Jesus takes that no from me. And I don't ever have to think, God's over there and I'm over here. Because he's here. He is here with us. Countless second chances. Let's pray. (coughs) Jesus, we thank you for your presence here now with us. We thank you that you are closer to us than the breath in our body. We thank you that it says nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. That relentless, pursuing, overwhelming, consuming love that you pour out on your creation. We praise you that there can never be a no in our life that is too big for you that you will be unwilling to forgive. We thank you that the second we turn to you, you're there with loving arms of kindness. We thank you for that grace and that mercy. Father, I pray for anyone here who, who's not started to follow you yet, maybe. He's thinking, do I want to follow God a bit more today? 
So I want to turn round. I pray for those people that they would know that God, you are there in an instant. And for those of us that are following, we thank you for that assurance that we've seen in the past, you're there in an instant. We know in the future, you'll be there in an instant. Please help us to follow you with more yeses than noes. Amen.